Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I want to invite you to stay updated with me on social media and see what we are doing in the ministry. You can follow me on Facebook at John Wallace. You can follow me on Instagram at Jonathan R. Wallace. And you can follow our YouTube page at New Beginnings Huntington. I pray this message builds your faith and gives you revelation. Let's get ready for the Word of God. All right. What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for hopping on to this broadcast. If you'll do me a favor uh, as you're hopping on, drop in the comments. Let me hear who you are, where you're watching from. Love to hear from you. Amen. I love the live interaction. I do my best as you comment and you have questions or you know you want me to pray or whatever. Just pop in the comments. Love to hear from you. Hope you're having a great day. It's Tuesday afternoon. Y'all, this is a special week. Uh, hopefully you know what this week is. This is what we call Passion Week. This was the week uh, that Jesus went to the cross, at least what we celebrate. Jesus went to the cross and he paid the price for our sin. And this Sunday we're, we're celebrating Resurrection Sunday, Easter. It's going to be awesome. So with that in mind, uh, yesterday I had started doing some lessons. Hey, Bridget, finally get to watch a live. Wonderful. Well, this might be a recap for you, but that's okay. It's good to get it in your spirit. You know, many great men of God have actually said that when you start preaching something uh, and your people start saying, oh my gosh, you know, does he talk about anything else? That's when they finally start to get it. And so I'm actually going to be talking about communion and I'm going to teach some things that a lot of people miss. I taught this Sunday at our church and uh, and I want to show you that there's a lot of things. Churches teach this all the time, and Christians have maybe even participated in this their whole life. And it's very clear that we don't even really know what we're doing. And the reason that I'm doing this, I went on to say that yesterday I started talking, uh, teaching from Mark chapter 4, lessons about seed and lessons about the kingdom. And I'm going to get back into that probably tomorrow. But today is kind of a special day, and I'm actually going to take communion with you, and I want to teach you on communion. So I, I encourage you, tune into this broadcast. Hey, Herbert, how are you, brother? Evening, Pastor. I see that. How are you, brother? Good to see you. Get you some bread, get you some juice, get you something that you that you can participate in this. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be revelatory for you. Um, and so today, the reason why I'm doing this is I know we celebrate Good Friday. You know, that's the day Jesus went to the cross. Supposedly, we call it Good Friday. But, you know, I kind of I bring that into question because the Bible says that he was in the grave for three days. Um, and so that doesn't really make sense. Friday to Saturday, because he... He was in the grave, and he was resurrected Sunday morning. That's why we celebrate. That's why Christians have church on Sunday. You know, we don't have church on the Jewish Sabbath, which was Saturday. We have church on Sunday morning. And it's actually the reason we've patterned that for the last 2,000 years is because we celebrate the day Jesus Christ rose from the grave. It was the first day of the week, Sunday morning, the first hour of Sunday morning. And so, uh, you know, if he went as in the grave Friday to Saturday, that's only 24 hours. But the Bible says he was in the grave for three days. So actually, what that would mean is that he had to have gone to the cross on a Wednesday. So that would make Wednesday to Thursday, one day, Thursday to Friday, two days, Friday to Saturday, three days, and then resurrected on the first hour of, of Sunday morning. And so, you know, and, and in fact, the book of Matthew tells us 
that he went to the cross and he gave up the ghost about three o'clock in the afternoon. And so today, the reason that I wanted to get on here and do this, why this is so important, is because this tonight would be the night that we celebrate the actual uh, eve of the crucifixion, where he took the disciples into the upper room and he had the last supper. And so he taught them about the bread and the cup. He took the communion with him, with them. And so that would have happened. We would be celebrating that tonight. So I want to get on here today and teach you about communion. This is going to be good. Love to hear from you. See a couple people. I'm good, Pastor. I'll be there Sunday. Praise God. Y'all, I am so excited. Hmm, I wonder if it's too much. Yeah, our computer may freeze up, so I'm not going to do it. I actually wanted to advertise we're having a miracle service this Sunday. And so what we're celebrating is Jesus Christ is alive. He is alive, and he was risen from the grave, and he sent the Holy Ghost. And so we're going to have a miracle service Sunday morning. You know, church and Easter is not about hunting eggs. It's not about barbecuing with your family. That's great and wonderful. But I'm telling you, it's about the resurrected Christ. It's about Jesus Christ who went to the cross, but he didn't stay on the cross. He rose again, and he gave power to the church. And he's alive, and he's seated at the right hand on the throne next to God. And so what we're going to do is work in celebration of the resurrected Christ we're going to prove he's alive, he's well, he still heals people, he still touches people. So we're calling for people that are sick, people that need a touch in their body. We're going to believe, we're going to pray for the sick Sunday. And, and if you got any issues whatsoever, come, let us lay hands on you, let us pray for you. The Lord's going to touch you, he's going to heal you, he's going to raise you up. Amen. So that's this Sunday miracle service happening here at New Beginnings Church at 1030. Be all do me a favor, share this broadcast, because, again, I'll say this, we're going to be talking about some things that a lot of people have no idea about. I'm going to teach you some doctrines that are irrefutable. Amen. Hey, Brother John Duke. I don't know what happened to my mouse. Let's see. There we go. I'm going to teach you some doctrines that are irrefutable. You know, so this is really good. One thing that is just kind of disputable, so to speak, I guess some people say, is the doctrine of healing. Is healing for today? Does, is it God's will for me to be healed? You know, if that's a question that you've had, I'm going to tell you right now, stay on this broadcast because <laughs> if you don't want to believe it, that's fine. You don't have to believe it. But by the end of this broadcast, there's no way you, there's no way you're going to be able to say the Bible doesn't teach it. The Bible doesn't say it. I'm going to show you irrefutably that healing is for today. And in fact, it's something that Jesus Christ purchased and paid for and that we celebrate this week. It's one of the things that he purchased. And so stick on this broadcast, share this broadcast. I want to tell you, you know, no condemnation to anybody, but the reason I'm taking time to do this is you can't have what you don't know. You know, you're only going to have, uh, you're only going to have what you have a revelation of. So if you don't have a revelation of something, you're never going to have that thing in your life. 
If you don't have a revelation of God's healing, you're never going to have healing in your life. If you don't have a revelation of God's blessing, you're never going to experience God's blessing in your life. And in fact, if you don't have a revelation of salvation, you'll never have salvation. That's what salvation is. Somebody preaches salvation to you. Your eyes are open. The Holy Ghost reveals. The curtain's lifted and you see and you respond and you put your faith in that message. And you put your faith in the sacrifice that Jesus made, the blood that was shed. You receive salvation. So this is what I want to do. I want to share the word with you. Uh, on these on these topics and teach you what Jesus Christ really did this week, what we're celebrating. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew 26, 26 through 29. We're going to start there. I'll be reading between the NLT and the New King James. Matthew 26. Blessings, Pastor. Thank you, brother. Matthew's 26, 26 through 29. Y'all, this is irrefutable. I'm telling you, and I love, this is one of my favorite messages to preach is because I, I didn't know this for so long. And I actually grew up, you know, communion was something that we took as a church like once a year, right? We'd take it around Christmas time. We'd take it around Easter time, but it was never taught. It was never taught. Those elements were never taught to people. What does the blood mean? What does the bread mean? Like, what does any of this mean? It was just kind of, well, Jesus paid for our sin. Praise God. Let's play a worship song and worship. And I never understood the power behind what I was doing. And because I never understood it, I never, I never did it in faith. Under, you know, believing for a specific result, believing to receive something, believing and putting my faith in this, in this covenant that the Lord had brought me into and what it really means. And so I want to show you these things. Matthew 26. 26 through 29. Hallelujah. It's going to be good today. Matthew 26, 26 through 29. It says, as they were eating, so right, this is the night before Jesus was crucified. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, take this and eat it for this is my body. So the first thing I want you to see, if you're writing in the comments, write bread, bread. He took the bread and he showed these boys. He said, look, this is my body. And I'm going to talk about this in a moment, but these were Jewish boys. They understood something that we don't understand in modern America. In 2021, a lot of people miss. This was Jewish culture. They understood when Jesus was showing them, this is my body. This is what my body is about to do for you. It meant something to them. And I'm going to show this to you in the scripture. So the first thing I need you to see, bread, body. Bread is the body. Bread is the body. He said, he took the bread and he said, this is my body. Verse 27, then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it. For this is my blood. Can you say blood? So he said, number one, this is my body. This is my blood. This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. That's going to be important. Something you're going to need to see as we move forward. The blood forgives sins. The blood forgives sins. So there's these two elements. It's so important for you to grab a hold of these two things that we're going to be breaking down during this, this teaching. You have these two elements. You have the blood. I want you to say it where you're at. Say the blood, the body. What does the blood mean? What does the blood do? What does the body mean? What does the body do? Amen. 
the two main things, redemptive uh, purchases that Jesus made with his blood, with his body. Hallelujah. So let me show you the origin of this. Flip to Exodus 12, 6 through 8. Exodus 12, 6 through 8. <clears throat> Exodus 12, 6 through 8. So Jesus, this was a tradition. You need to understand this. You know, when Jesus was doing this, this wasn't like some new thing that Jesus was doing for the first time. This was something the Jews had done for 1,400 years. What they would do is every year at the Passover, they would celebrate. They would, they would eat of the bread. They would take the cup. They would have this celebration. They would sing these hymns. And so what they were celebrating was the, the night that the Lord delivered Israel from Egypt. So we're going to read the story of what happened. These two instructions that God gave Israel. And every year they would celebrate and say, man, we remember what, what the blood did. We remember the instructions the Lord gave and how he delivered the Israelites out of Egypt and what took place that night. So they celebrated these things. And so when Jesus was showing them, look, this, these stories that you've heard, this bread that you've eaten your whole life, this tradition that's been passed down to you, I am fulfilling it with my body. The same thing that I did in Egypt, now I, I am purchasing that, and it was just a picture of what I'm going to do tomorrow with my body, the price I'm going to pay with my body. The thing that you've been celebrating all these years was just a picture of what I'm about to purchase and do with my blood. So these Jewish boys, they got a revelation that we miss a lot of times, and I want to help you get that today. Exodus 12, 6 through 8. This was the instructions of the original Passover. A lot of you know the story. Uh, Israel was in Egypt. They were enslaved to the Egyptians. They had been there for 400 years, I believe the Bible says. And so now the Lord raises up Moses and he's delivering the people out of Egypt. And so you, you've probably watched the movie, The Prince of Egypt, or you've read it in VBS. You've heard messages about it. But Moses comes into Egypt. These plagues and these signs, these wonders, these miracles take place. And Pharaoh just, his heart keeps getting hardened and hardened and hardened, and he refuses to let the people go. So finally, this is what the Lord said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this once and for all. And he gives Israel specific instructions. So let's pick up in verse 6. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of the first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or their young goat at twilight. So, Obviously, the Lord told them, take this young lamb that's spotless and without blemish. What is, that, what is that a picture of? The New Testament, the Bible tells us that Jesus was the Lamb of God. So this was just all a picture of Jesus Christ. This was a physical lamb, but it was just painting a picture of the Lamb of God that would come, which is Jesus Christ. And this is what he told them to do. They say, he said, take some of the blood. So they were to slaughter the lamb. Jesus was, was killed for us, crucified for us. They were to slaughter the lamb and to smear some of the blood. Can you say blood? Blood on the sides and the top of the door frames of the houses. And then it says where they would eat the animal. Verse 8, that same night they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. So there was two instructions. What was it that I said? There's these two elements. Jesus said, this is my body. Take this bread. This is my body. 
take this cup, this is my blood. The two instructions that God gave was to smear the blood on the doorpost and then to not only do that, but then to go inside of the house and to eat the body. So we're going to break these two things down, okay? Because they both, they both did something, and we miss this a lot of the time. So I want to focus on the first thing. What happened when they smeared the blood on the doorpost? Skip down to verse 12 through 13. I know I'm going fast and I'm, I'm giving you a lot of information, but you guys stay with me. Go down to verse 12 through 13 of Exodus 12. Because this is so important. The Jews, they knew this. They knew this story, what I'm about to share with you. So when Jesus took, showed them this cup of wine and said, this is my blood, the light bulb came on. They knew what that meant. They knew the story. What did the blood do? When they smeared that blood in Egypt on those doorposts, what happened? What happened? And then when Jesus said, I'm about to do this with my blood, they got it. They understood something. So I don't want you to miss this. What happened when they smeared the blood on the doorpost in Egypt? Are you all with me? Exodus 12, 12 through 13. Let's read it. It says, on that night, the Lord said, so right, think about this. Take the lamb, this lamb represented Jesus, slaughter it, smear its blood on the doorpost, then take the, the meat, roast it, and eat it. And then he says in verse 12, On that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgments against the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. Look at this in verse 13. But the blood on your door, doorpost will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are to stay. I'm sorry, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. So what did the blood do? The blood saved them. The blood saved them. So what does the blood do for us? Write this down if you're taking notes. Number one, the blood saves us. This is why it's called Passover. He said the blood of the lamb would save you. You mark your door, your doorposts with blood. He said, I'll pass over. Death will not come into your home. Hallelujah. What does the blood do? The blood saves us. The blood of Jesus saves us. What does the blood of Jesus save us from? Death. Let me break this down. Let me put all this together for you to understand this. Look at Colossians 2, 14 through 15. It says, it talks about Jesus when he went to the cross. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The first thing I want you to see, he canceled the record of charges against us. Do you understand that there were charges against us? What were those charges against us? Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Can you say death? But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the Bible said there's a price to pay for sin. When there's sin, the price, the wage of sin is death. If you sin, then you will, you have to die because that is the price. That is the wage, right? You go to work, you work 10 hours, you get a paycheck. That's your wage. That's what's due to you because of the work that you gave. 
The Bible says that death is due to us because of sin. And so what Jesus did when he shed his blood, it says it canceled the record of charges against us. We were going to go to hell. We were going to die. We were going to experience an eternal death. And Jesus, literally the blood of Jesus saved us, where now that passes over us. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Canceled the death penalty. So these Jewish boys, they understood that. They understood the blood saves us. And, and here's the thing. I'm probably, I'm preaching to the choir. Most Christians understand this. This first part may not be that revelatory for you. But what I'm going to show you is something that a lot of us miss. A lot of people miss this next part, so you don't want to miss this. But guys, I just I, it's just so amazing. Not only, I want you to get this, not only does the blood of Jesus save us from hell, from eternal death, but look what that verse says in Colossians 2. Not only did he take the charges away from us, it says he disarmed spiritual rulers and authorities. The blood of Jesus rebukes the devil from your life. Hallelujah. You know, the Lord gave me this revelation. For a long time, I took a hold of that Luke 10, 18 through 19, where Jesus said, I've given you all authority over the power of the devil. You can walk among scorpions and serpents and crush them under your feet. Nothing by any means shall harm you. You know, I, I took that and I understood, okay, I have all authority over the devil. So, right, I would begin to Every day, like, right, something would come up. I'm rebuking the devil. I rebuke the devil off my finances. I rebuke the devil off of my life. I rebuke the devil away from my household. I rebuke the devil away from my wife and children. And then one day the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, John, do you realize that I gave you authority over the devil? Not necessarily just, for, not for you, and this might sound weird, but stay with me. Not for you, but to set the captive free. I gave you authority over the devil for others, not for you. And I said, what do you mean not for me? He said, the blood of Jesus alone rebukes the devil from your life. And I said, wow, he, he, I'm rebuking the devil off of, off of my household. Why is the devil on your household? If you look at the Passover, they took the blood of the lamb and smeared it on their doorpost. And that angel of death, he wasn't able to go into that home. He wasn't able to go and stick his hand around in that home and them say, hold on, angel of death, didn't you see there's blood? No, the blood alone. He was not allowed to cross that threshold because of the blood alone. This is a revelation. If the, if the blood of an animal that simply represented Jesus Christ deterred the angel of death, how much more will the actual blood of Jesus deliver us from the hand of the devil? You are, you are secure. First John chapter five says, God's children don't make a practice of sinning for his son holds them securely and the evil one touches them not. The devil doesn't get to touch you. The devil doesn't get to touch your life. The devil doesn't get to touch your finances. The devil doesn't get to touch your health. The devil doesn't get to touch your household and your children and your vehicles. The devil doesn't get to touch anything. That You are covered in the blood of Jesus. You know, not only does the blood save you from death, the, the Bible actually teaches we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Think about this. The blood of Jesus cleanses you and purifies you where now the Holy Ghost can fill you as the temple. 
right? The Holy Ghost, people could never have the Holy Ghost in the past because we were imperfect. And God's Spirit cannot dwell in an imperfect structure. And this is what the most amazing thing is. The New Testament doesn't teach that the Holy Ghost lives in a building, that He lives in a box, that He lives in behind a curtain somewhere. We are the temples of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because when we were washed by the blood of Jesus, we became pure, we became spotless, we became holy, we became the perfect vessel and now which the Spirit of God can fill us and dwell in us as the temples of the Holy Ghost. What happened when the Holy Ghost came and, and filled you? The Bible says in Ephesians 1 that by the Holy Spirit, His Spirit joined with our spirit, Romans chapter 8. Now we are seated high above every spiritual ruler, authority, principality in this world and in the unseen world. I'm rolling off a bunch of scripture from my spirit, but you need to get this. You're seated by the blood of Jesus. Now you're seated above the devil. He can't touch you. The blood saves us. What does the blood save me from? It saves me from hell. It saves me from the devil's hand here in this life. The devil doesn't get to play with, and that's the thing. That's the thing. You know, only by that revelation, you can only have that when you get the revelation of it. A lot of Christians give place to the devil because they think that they're still fighting this battle against the devil. They think that the devil still has a right to their house. You know, man, I don't have all the scripture prepared, so I'm just going to rapid fire it out, <laughs> rapid fire it out of my spirit. But when Jesus casted out demons, he taught about this. They came and accused him and said, "You know, you do this because you have you're the you know you have the the spirit of Beelzebub or whatever, the prince of demons. You do this by demon power." And Jesus said, "No, what are you talking about? I don't do this by demon power. If I did, it'd be a kingdom divided against itself, and any kingdom divided against itself will never stand." He says, "No," and he went on to say. That if a, if a strong man is at home and he guards his house, his possessions are safe until someone even stronger comes and overthrows him, overpowers him, strips him up, ties him up, throws him out. So what Jesus was saying was, the power that I operate in is, is stronger than any devil's. That's why he had no problem casting out devils. That's why he had no problem going to Legion, a man that had 12,000 devil spirits inside of him and cast it out in a, in, a, in a simple command because he was stronger. So, But this is what's so amazing. Think about that, that sentence. Look it up. Look the scripture up. When a strong man guards his house, his possessions are safe. The Bible says in 1 John, Greater is the spirit now that is in me than the spirit that's in this world. Because the Holy Ghost dwells in me because of the blood of Jesus, I am the stronger man. You are the stronger man. You're the stronger woman. Your spirit is stronger than any devil's spirit. Your spirit is stronger than the devil himself. So what does that mean? Your possessions are safe. The devil has no power to come into your life and touch anything that belongs to you as a possession because the spirit that's on the inside of you is greater than any spirit that's in this world. And that all was made possible because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood saves me. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus. Because because of the blood, I have the Holy Ghost. Because of the blood, my sins are forgiven. They understood this. 
So let's get into the real revelatory portion here that we miss. I hope y'all are still with me. I hope you're getting something out of this. I, I don't understand how you could listen to this and not get something out of it. Let's get into the second part. So we get that. A lot of Christians understand the blood. Whenever I took communion growing up my whole life, I understood, right? Well, the blood saves me. I don't have to go to hell. The blood cast my sin as far as the east is from the west. Though my sins were, were scarlet, red as scarlet, he's washed me white as snow. You know, I, I knew all that kind of stuff growing up. But we're missing it. Did Jesus just give his disciples and say, Here's my blood. Here's the cup of the new covenant, the blood which confirms this new covenant. Take it and drink it. Then they took it and drank it. He said, all right, guys, let's sing a hymn and go. No, there were two parts. I want you to get this. There were two parts. There was the bread. There was the blood. We only understand the blood, and we completely miss the other half of what Jesus redeemed, the price that Jesus paid. He didn't only shed his blood. He gave his body. You look at the original Passover. The original Passover, God did not only say, smear the blood on the doorposts, as we just read in Exodus 12. We're missing the other, what was the other instruction? Take the body of the lamb and eat it. We miss this whole other side. So we just covered in depth. What does the blood do? We, we established according to the word. The blood saves us. But now let's answer this question. What did the body of the lamb do? What does the body do? What does the bread do? If the blood saves us, does the body save us? No. There was a whole other redemptive purpose in giving his body. I want to show this to you. What does the body do? And this is where we miss it. This is where I don't understand how churches teach communion at their church without literally teaching 50% of it. The body... Write this down for number two. The body heals us. The bread heals us. The body of the lamb heals us. I want to show this to you in scripture. So turn to Psalms 105, 36 through 37. This is an interesting place that you wouldn't expect to find information about the Passover, but the Lord gave this revelation to David in Psalms 5. 105, I'm sorry. Psalms 105, 36 through 37. I don't want you to read it in a new translation. I'm going to read it to you in the, in the New King James. Sometimes some of the newer stuff butchers, really, you know, some of, I'm not like, oh, the King James all the way. If it ain't King James, it, it ain't right. No. But there are some, there are good things that we miss sometimes in more modern translations. So Psalms 105. 36 through 37. Guys, this is going to be good. Irrefutable. Irrefutable. So, there's no denying. God gave us two parts, two instructions. The body, the blood. The body, the blood. There was the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, and then they had to eat the body of the lamb when they went inside their house. What did the body do? The body heals us. Psalms 105, 36 through 37. This is an account of of what happened in Egypt. If you read through Psalms 105, skip back a few verses, you can see clearly this is talking about the Passover. This is talking about what Moses did when he went into Egypt and delivered the Israelites. It talks about the plagues, how the Lord struck them with plagues and the different things that took place. So look what it says in verse 36. He destroyed all the firstborn in their land. Right? That's what we just read in Exodus 12. 
The Lord said, I'm going to come and I'm, you smear the blood and the angel of death will pass over. So what happened? The Lord destroyed all the firstborn in their lamp, the first of all their strength. He brought them out. So he brought them out, the Israelites out, loaded with silver and gold. And there was none feeble among their tribes. There was none feeble among his tribes. So there was three things that the Lord did for the Israelites when he brought them out of Egypt. Uh-oh, am I freezing? Y'all stay with me a second. I don't know if it's freezing up. Write this down. Hallelujah. Three things the Lord did. He saved them from death. And then it says that he took the wealth of the Egyptians and he put it, he, the wealth of the wicked was stripped, given to the righteous. He took, he stripped the wealth of Egypt, gave it to his children. That's a whole nother message. But the number three, then there was none feeble. So he removed feebleness from among their tribes. This is so important and significant. What I want to show you, what is feebleness? Look at the definition of feebleness. Sorry, we're having trouble playing this video. Y'all that are still on, tell me, am I frozen? Give me one second. Let me make sure I'm not freezing up here. Okay, I think I'm still good. No frozen here. Praise God. Wonderful. So look, God removed feebleness from them. I want you to get this. This is so amazing. So feebleness, the definition of feebleness literally means lacking physical strength, especially as a result of old age or illness. So all effects of old age, all effects of illness, God removed from them. This is what's so amazing. What happened when they ate the body of the lamb? So that, that night, think of this. They went, they put the blood over the doorposts, and the angel of death passed them by. But that didn't do anything. That just saved them from death. That just preserved them and marked them as people of God and, and preserved their lives. The blood secured them. The blood saved them. But that night... That's not the only instruction. They took the body of the lamb. They took the body of the lamb. And I can imagine this. People bent over, you know, 40 years, 80 years. They've been slaves in Egypt their whole life. They're crippled up. They got arthritis. Their spines bent over. And then they take the blood of the, of the, the body of this lamb that represents Jesus Christ. And when they eat the body of this lamb, now all of a sudden, their backs start popping. Their legs start growing out. Their bones start coming together right? Cancer begins to leave. Eyes begin to open up. All sickness and disease or even weakness due to old age, strength was restored to them instantly by partaking of the body of the lamp. Hallelujah. I need you to see this. So get this. You think, well, I think you're cherry picking that. No, this is what the Bible teaches. There are two main things that Christ redeemed us from. There are two main things the Bible teaches that Christ redeemed us from, and these are broad things that you know obviously have multiple 
subcategories, but these two main things I need you to see. Number one, the Bible teaches that Christ redeemed us from our sin. A lot of people get that. Number two, the Bible teaches that Christ redeemed us from sickness and disease. Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin with his blood. Jesus Christ paid the price for our sickness and disease with his body. So look at Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes you were healed. So he was wounded for our transgressions. That means when Jesus was nailed to a cross and he shed his blood, he paid the price for your transgressions. He paid the price for our sins. Right When he was there and they shove a spear into his side, blood comes pouring out. He paid the price for sin. He shed his blood for sin. But the Bible says, not only did he shed his blood, was he wounded for our transgressions. It says, by his stripes you were healed. Let me ask you a question. A lot of people have no problem. Right? Are you saved? Yeah, I know I'm saved. How do you know that I'm saved? Because the Bible tells me that Jesus Christ shed his blood you know, for, for the forgiveness of my sin. Get this, the same verse that tells you that Jesus Christ shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sin is the same verse that tells you that he took stripes on his back, on his body, for you to be healed. Do you understand now the significance? Jesus didn't shed his blood necessarily for our healing. He took stripes on his body. On his, he could have died a thousand ways. right? If all he had to do was shed blood, which... I'm not trying to get away from Bible prophecy, but they could have just speared him. Why couldn't somebody have just came up behind him and shoved a sword you know, through his body and pierced his heart? Why couldn't that have happened? And then him shed his blood. No, Jesus specifically, he, he made a purchase with his body. He gave his body. He allowed his body to be whipped. He allowed his flesh to be torn open, his back to be shredded, the back of his legs to be shredded. You know, that thing, they would whip him. It had glass shards, bone fragments, metal fragments in it that would just stick into his body and rip it open. He was literally whipped beyond, uh, nobody could even recognize him. He paid a price with his body. By his stripes, you are healed. The same verse, get this guys, the same verse that tells you that he was nailed to the cross for your sins is the same verse that tells you that by his stripes that he took, you were healed. So there's two main things that Christ redeemed us from. Number one, our sin. Number two, sickness and disease. Okay, you say, well, that's just, you know, that's just one verse. Psalms 103. Isn't it funny how I started this by saying I need you? There's two things that Jesus said. This is my, what, blood? The cup? This is my body. The blood forgave the sins. The blood saved them at the Passover. The body healed them. Removed feebleness from among them. I don't think I can lay this out any more clearly. One oh, Psalms 103, 2-3. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget one translation. I like the way it says in the New King James. His benefits. What's his benefits? Look at these two things. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my disease. Jesus paid a price for your sins to be forgiven. Jesus paid a price for you to live free from sickness and disease. Guys, it's an equal price. It's an equal price. Look at Matthew 9, 
2 through 7. I'll just keep firing them off at you. Matthew 9, 2 through 7. Jesus modeled this. So it says, Some people brought to Jesus a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. Hold on a second. Think about this. They brought a paralyzed man. He was, he was sick. He was paralyzed. Right? He, they bring him up. Jesus had been healing the sick. I've been reading through the book of Mark. It says that anywhere, anytime Jesus even landed on the shore, he'd get on the boat, cross over the Sea of Galilee, or the Dead Sea, whatever. He'd land on, on, a, on a piece of land. His foot would touch the ground and there would be crowds waiting for him. Literally bringing people from the nearby villages on mats, like on stretchers, just so they could simply touch his robe, touch his garment. They believe if we could just touch him, we'll be healed like the woman with the issue of blood. So they brought this man, obviously, to be healed. Jesus was no, no fool. He wasn't ignorant. This man wasn't coming, right, and fell down on his knees and saying, you know, Father, will you please uh, do three Hail Marys and forgive me of my sins? No, they obviously brought this man to be healed. Jesus looked at this man and said, your sins are forgiven. Look, keep reading. But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, that's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? Look at that. Is it easier to say be healed? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven? Why did Jesus interchange those two things? Because he paid an equal price for your healing. He paid a price for your, the forgiveness of your sin with his blood. And he paid an equal price that day of Calvary with his body for you to be healed of sickness and disease. There are two things the Bible teaches us Jesus redeemed us from. Sin and, and he redeemed us from sickness and disease. It's irrefutable, undisputable. Nobody can prove this wrong doctrinally. Well, then, because nobody, you, you know, that's the thing. You can't say the Bible doesn't teach it. But people can just come back and say, well, you know, if that's true, then how come people are sick? Well, if that's true, then how come people go to hell? If Jesus went to the cross and died for our sin, why do people go to hell? Because they never received that salvation. They never put their faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, confessed their sins, and received salvation. They never believed and, and received by faith their healing that Jesus purchased. It's so stupid to think like that. Well, if Jesus paid for us to be healed, then how come people die sick? Well, you know, if Jesus paid the price for sin, then how come Hitler murdered millions of Jews? Obviously, because he never received that salvation. He rejected it. He rejected God. He rejected the gospel. He didn't put his faith in Jesus Christ. The same way Christians can be healed. I'm sorry, Christians can be saved, but they never put their faith in what Jesus paid for with his body, and they never receive healing. And this makes the devil mad when you preach like this. So was Jesus mistaken when this man came to him? No. Why? Because he was pierced for my transgressions. By his stripes I am healed. All that I am, praise the Lord, may I never forget his benefits. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. That night of the Passover, the blood saved them. The body of the lamb removed feebleness from among them. The Jews knew this. So think of what the revelation they had when Jesus took the cup and said, This is my blood. Oh my gosh, they got it. Then he took the bread and said, This is my body. 
They had just watched Jesus heal the sick. They knew God the healer. They knew the stories of Passover. They understood that the provision for their healing was being purchased when he gave his body. Well, John, I just have a really hard problem with that. Well, okay, let's actually look how Paul taught communion in the New Testament. Well, that seems, that seems a little out of context. Look how Paul taught communion in 1 Corinthians 11. Look at 23 through 26, and then I'm going to skip through 27 and 30. I'm going to read it to you, the New King James. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. After I teach this, I actually have this with me, and I encourage you, wherever you're at, do this with your family tonight. And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to show you how to thank God, and we're going to take communion together the biblical way. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. Look what Paul said. He said, For I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord himself. So think of, I mean, we can get into a whole nother thing. Paul, no man taught this. Jesus, the book of Galatians in chapter 1 says that Paul said, I received this revelation from Jesus Christ himself. No man taught me this. So the Lord taught him himself. Whether that was like Kenneth e. Hagin, literally in a physical manifestation, Paul said, I was taken to the third heavens, whether I was in the, in the body, out of the body, I do not know. So whether either A, Paul was actually taken into heaven and Jesus taught him these things, the message that he brought to the Gentiles, or B, Jesus actually appeared and taught Paul, or C, the Holy Ghost, Jesus taught Paul and uh, this revelation by the Holy Ghost through the impartation of the Holy Spirit. But he didn't receive this from any man. You know, Paul didn't receive this from Peter who was there. When the Lord, you know, instituted the Last Supper and took communion with the boys. Paul, was, Paul didn't receive this from Peter. He says, I receive, I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord himself. So Jesus taught him, this is, this is what it means. This is what the blood in, in the body means. The cup of wine, the bread means. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. He broke it saying, this is my body which is given for you. What is the bread? What is the body? Your healing. We just established that. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Can you say blood? Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So, flip over to the New King James Version. I'm going to read it to you. Let's look in verse 27. This is interesting. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So I want to ask you this question. He says, he says, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup in an unworthy manner. So here's the question. What does it mean? You know, Paul was saying he took the bread, he took the cup of wine. It represented his body, his blood. There's actually a way to do it in an unworthy manner. I've heard this taught wrong. You know, there's certain people that teach, right, if you've sinned, it, 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 which Christians shouldn't sin. 
I'm not getting into that whole discussion right now. But Paul's not talking about, well, if you've messed up, you know, and you feel like you're guilty, you feel like you made a mistake, you can't take communion, you're unworthy. And if you do, the Lord's going to judge you for doing it. No, that's not what this is teaching. Paul actually tells us what it means to partake of this in an unworthy manner. Look what he says. For he who drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So Paul said to partake of communion in an unworthy manner was to do so and not discern the Lord's body. What was the Lord's body? Right? There's two elements, the blood, the cup, the bread, the blood, the body. So to not discern the Lord's body is to do this in an unworthy manner. We just established what is the Lord's body through scripture. It's what he, he purchased our, our freedom from sickness and disease with his body. Look at this word discern. If you look at the Greek word here, I want to break this down so you can understand this. The word discern in the Greek means to separate, to make distinction, to discriminate, to prefer. So Paul said he was rebuking the Corinthian church saying, guys, you're doing this like religiously. You're doing this as a ritual. You're taking the cup and the blood, but you're not making a distinction between the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus because Jesus Christ made a purchase with his blood that gives you benefits and he made a purchase with his body that gives you benefits. And you're doing this in an unworthy manner because you're not making the distinction between those two things. Look at this. For, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Look at this. For this reason, what was the body's freedom from sickness and disease? For this reason, many of you are weak and sick among you, and many have died or fallen asleep. So Paul said, because you have failed, he didn't say that you failed to make the distinction between from, of the blood. He said you failed to discern the Lord's body. So therefore, because you have failed to discern, make the distinction of what Jesus Christ did with his body. He purchased your freedom from sickness and disease. He removed feebleness from among you. Because you have failed to make that distinction and put your faith to take the bread and say, Lord, this is my freedom from sickness and disease. This is my healing. This is my freedom from cancer. He said, because you have failed to do that, many of you are weak, many of you are sick, and many of you are asleep. Many of you have died. So what was Paul actually teaching them? If you would do this properly and understand what Jesus purchased for you with his body, you would not be weak. You would be strong. The Bible doesn't teach that you have to be weak. You can actually partake, put your faith in what Jesus paid for with his body, and you can be strong. You can have strength. The Bible doesn't teach that you have to be sick. Right? Well, if the Lord wants me sick. No, Paul actually rebuked them in the, in the Corinthians church and told them, you're sick because you failed to believe and to discern the Lord's body. The Bible does, well, if the Lord wants me to die, how many of you know we all have a time? I guess that boy's time was just 27. He was to die young. The Lord needed another angel in heaven. No, actually, Paul rebuked the Corinthian church and said, some of you have died because you have failed to partake of what he purchased. You failed to partake of the benefits that he has given to us by 
the, the sacrifice that he made with his body. Are you all with me still? Hallelujah. So, I hope you get the revelation of communion. Let's take this together. Let's celebrate this day together. The Lord took the bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body which is given for you. Let's just thank the Lord. Take this with me. Put your faith in this with me. Father, thank you for the body of Jesus Christ. Thank you that Jesus took stripes on his back for me to be healed. Thank you that I am disqualified from cancer because I am healed by the body of Jesus. 1 Peter 2.24 says, By his stripes I am healed. Isaiah 53.5 says, By his stripes I am healed. Matthew 8.17 says that he he took my sicknesses. He removed my diseases. Jesus paid the price for my healing with his body. Lord, as I eat this bread that represents the body of Jesus Christ, I decree and declare all feebleness is being removed from me. All weakness, all fatigue, fatigue from life, fatigue from old age, fatigue from the day, fatigue from the stinking food that we eat in the United States of America is being removed from me. All weakness and illness is being removed from me. Thank you that I am healed in Jesus' name. Thank you that I am healed by the body of Jesus Christ. Sickness does not belong to me. Healing is my portion. I declare that I will not be weak. I will be strong. I declare that I will not be sick. I will be well by the body of Jesus Christ. I declare that I will not die. I will live by the body of Jesus Christ. The children's bread. Healing. Thank you for paying a price for my healing. Just thank the Lord. Take a moment. Thank you for paying the price for me, Lord. I don't have to be sick. I don't have to die young. I don't have to live with the plagues and the diseases of this earth. Jesus redeemed me from sickness and disease. Jesus took stripes on his back so that I could be healed. Jesus allowed himself to be tied to a whipping post and shredded to pieces so that the, the, the diseases, the sicknesses that come upon my body, that you place those things on Christ's body 2,000 years ago. And you took out <laughs> the punishment. You paid the price so that I don't have to bear those things anymore. I am healed in Jesus' name by the body of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Say, thank you, Lord. You know, Paul said, I, I thank God I pray in the Spirit more than all of you. Paul said, you know, sing praises to the Lord in words of understanding, words you don't understand. He said, I'll sing in, in words of understanding and I'll sing in the Spirit. Just begin to praise the Lord. Thank you that I'm healed. Hallelujah, the flu doesn't come to my household. COVID-19, that's a joke anyways. It doesn't come to my household. Even if it was as serious as the lies that they've made, which it's not. Even if it was, it wouldn't touch me. Wouldn't touch my house. Wouldn't stop our ministry. Wouldn't shut us down. I'm, it, I, it is scripturally illegal for those things to come near my dwelling. Hallelujah. Thank you for my redemption, Lord.
Thank you, Lord Jesus. What a wonderful, wonderful name it is. I want you to take the cup. Let's thank the Lord for this. Thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus. Thank you that this blood was given for the forgiveness of my sin. Thank you that this blood was given to confirm a covenant that I've been brought into. Let's just thank him for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus shed his blood so that I don't have to shed my blood. Jesus died on the cross so that I don't have to die, so that I may have life. That all who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life and life and life abundantly, not only in heaven but on earth. Jesus paid the price for my sin. Lord, by the blood of Jesus, I am no longer, I am no longer covered in, in guilt. I'm no longer covered in sin, but I have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus has caused you to take my sins and cast it as far as the east is from the west. I am righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. The book of Romans chapter 5, 6, and 7 says that I have been brought into this place of undeserved privilege by the blood of Jesus Christ. By faith in the blood. I have been made friends of God by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. I have been given joy and peace by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. I have received the oil of joy, the garment of praise. Hallelujah. Thank you for the blood that forgives my sins. I'm not who I used to be. I am born again. I'm a new creation by the blood of Jesus Christ. Not only does the blood forgive my sins, the Bible says the blood of Jesus does what bulls and goats could never do. It cleanses our consciousness. So the guilt that I carry of what I used to do, who I used to be, the guilt is gone. The stain is completely removed. There's no stain anymore of our sin. It's not like our clothes where you spill something on your shirt and you wash it and it's clean, but there's still a stain. There's still a remnant. There's still this memory, right, that reminds you of that, the stuff that you dropped on your garments. And you look at it and you're like, oh, I hate looking at that. No, it's completely removed. I'm not who I used to be. No more guilt, no more condemnation. Nothing se separates us from the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the blood. Thank you that this blood covers me and it covers my household. It covers my dwelling. I declare what Psalms 91 says. No plague will come near my dwelling because that devil's spirit will take one look at me. And in the spirit, he won't see John. He'll see John covered, baptized and anointed in the blood of Jesus Christ. He'll see me dripping in the blood. And he'll say, I can't, hey, I can't touch that man. I can't touch that man's house. I can't touch that man's family. Because the blood of Jesus repels the devil and all devil spirits. The evil one touches us not. Hallelujah. Disarm the enemy by the work that he did on the cross. Colossians 2. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this blood. Redeems me. Rescued me. Translated me into a new kingdom. Seated me high on the throne at the right hand in heavenly places far above every devil and devil spirit that exists. Ooh, hallelujah. Thank you for this blood, Lord. Thank you for the blood. In Jesus' name. We could spend all day going into the depths of what Jesus paid for, purchased with his sacrifice.
Y'all, I encourage you, do this today. Do this with your family. Take time. Thank the Lord today in prayer. Hallelujah. I hope that this helped you. I hope that anybody that stays with this or listens to this back, I mean, this will give you irrefutable doctrine. Nobody can refute this. That Jesus Christ purchased the forgiveness of your sins and he purchased your freedom from sickness and disease. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Guys, I love you so much. I want to give you an opportunity to give to our ministry. All of the ways you can do that at the bottom of the screen if you'd like to give. Got all kinds of cool stuff we're doing. I don't want to go into a, a long talk about giving right now, but I think most people that watch me, if you don't, if, if, if you're somebody that watches me, you understand the way that I have right now irrefutably proven that the Bible teaches Jesus provided atonement for our sin and from freedom from sickness and disease. It's just irrefutable Bible doctrine. Uh, the Bible teaches that there is a blessing when we give. The Bible teaches there's a blessing when we tithe which your tithe belongs to the local church you're part of, but or where you're fed, where you get fed from. Uh, but the Bible teaches that there is a blessing when you sow seed. When you give something even above your tithe, when you put seed in the ground. In, in, in Malachi chapter 3, the Lord said, Bring to me the tithes and, I want you to say and, the offerings due to me. So the Lord doesn't only require a tithe, which the tithe is 10% of your income, obviously. I'm not talking necessarily about your tithe. You know, that's between you and the Lord uh, and the church, the community you're plugged into. I'm talking about the other part and the offerings due to me. What is an offering? A Bible offering is anything that's above your tithe. So let me tell you what a Bible offering is not. A Bible offering is not... If you don't pay your tithes to your local body, you're, you're plugged into the church that you're connected, the place that you get fed, then you don't you can't give a biblical offering to the Lord. The, the Bible teaches us clearly in the book of Malachi, the Lord does not receive every offering. I know in America, because we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable, we kind of just teach, right? Throw your scraps. We're going to pass around a bucket. If you have a dollar or two, you know, give the Lord, a, a throw, the, throw a dog a bone. The Lord doesn't receive it. In fact, you're better off not doing it. You're better off not giving anything. Uh, the Lord rejects that because that's what they were doing in Malachi. They knew that the tithe belonged to the Lord. They knew that there were certain animals, there were certain sacrifices the Lord required. So that what they would do is they would go out in their fields and they'd say, okay, let's say hypothetically the Lord requires a goat. So I want to go find a goat. I'm going to go find, you know, I'm not going to give God like my best goat because I, I can make money off that goat. I can breed that goat, right? Uh, I got breeding rights invested in this goat. This is a good goat. It does me well. But there is old Larry the goat. That goat's retarded. That goat, you know, he's got two bug eyes looking. Nobody wants that goat. I can't. I don't even want to eat that goat. I saw that goat eating something nasty the other day. I don't. We're not even going to use that for anything. So it's okay. Well, the Lord requires a goat. So let's take our crippled goat. Let's take our messed up, our 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 the least. You know, and let's bring it to the Lord so we can fulfill the requirements that he's given us. The Lord said, I wish that you would shut the temple so that I don't even have to look at this offering. The Lord doesn't receive every offering. 
He doesn't accept every offering that we bring to him. A biblical offering is when you give something that's above your tithe. What's above, you know, your tithe belongs to the Lord. That's not, that's not for us to decide. When you're in covenant with God, and I'm not going to go into the, the ir, ir, undisputable Bible doctrines of tithing and why the Bible has instituted the tithe even in the New Covenant, which we could, and I could prove it to you, and if you're somebody that doesn't believe it, you're wrong. Uh, the Bible teaches that that is still active, that's still in effect, and there's still the same blessing attached to it of what God will do for us. When we take 10% of our income and give it to the Lord. But there's more than that. Can you say more? So the tithe is not to be determined by us. That's 10 per, If I make $100, the biblical tithe is for me to take $10 of that $100 and give it to the Lord. For every $1 that comes into my possession, 10 cents belongs to the Lord. And then 90 cents, well, I'll say all, the whole dollar belongs to the Lord. Because everything that I have belongs to him. But he's instituted in this covenant with him. And for every $1.10 automatically off the top goes to him. But what an offering is, is you are to be led by the Spirit, something that the Lord wants you to give that's above your tithe. And I want to teach you what the Bible says, is that the Spirit will direct you in what you are to give. Because when you give, the Bible promises that it produces a, a specific harvest. So Jesus actually said in Luke 6 that what you give will determine the amount that you get back. So you can't get anything back without giving. And so here's the point. The Holy Ghost will direct people and see that they're to sow. That you, that the Lord says, I want you to give, you know, I've had times the Lord's told me, I want you to give $1,000 seeds. I'm like, Lord, you know, $1,000. I'm not talking about my tithe. I'm not talking about, well, you know, 300 of it's my tithe and the other. No, you pay your tithes. And he says, there's $1,000 I want you to give that has nothing to do with your tithe. I want you to sow it. Why? Because the Holy Ghost, there's a specific harvest that he wants to get to me. There's a certain number. You know, what's 30 times 1,000? That's $30,000. Jesus promised in Luke 13, 8, or Matthew 13, 8, that we would receive 30, 60, even 100 times the seed that we sowed. So let's say the bare minimum, 30, the Lord says, John, I want to give you $30,000. But in order to get that $30,000 in your hand, there's a $1,000 seed that needs to be loosed, that needs to be put in the ground so that it can go into the kingdom and it can produce a, this tree that will bring you back $30,000. Right, So there's always a specific harvest that the Lord's trying to get to you. There's a blessing that the Lord's trying to get to you. The Lord doesn't tell us to give to take away from us. The Lord doesn't tell us to give to drain our accounts. I'm telling you, the more I give to the Lord, the more I obey the Holy Ghost and I give what He tells me to give, uh, the more I see His abundant provision and blessing. The more I see my, the more I give, this is how the kingdom works. I'm telling you, the more I give, the more I see my bank account go up and not go down. I'm telling you, I was in the ministry for several years and I didn't give uh, radically like I give now. And I never saw, I mean, we struggled. We were the ones in food box lines, not the ones giving food to other people. And I saw a complete 180 multiplication. Literally, the Lord quadrupled, not quadrupled, I say the first year that I began to tithe faithfully and give offerings here and there, my income doubled in one calendar year. I look now, it's only been two calendar years since I've been giving 
faithfully, not just my tithe, but above my tithe. And I guarantee you, if I calculated it out, my income is tripled at least from whenever I wasn't a tither and I wasn't a giver. And that, y'all, and I'm just getting a revelation. It should be more than tripled. I should have 30, 60, and 100 fold what I give. And you should too. So my point is this. Ask the Holy Ghost if there's a seed that he, that he would have you put in the ground. Obviously, you're not giving just to help us out. The book of Hebrews in chapter 7 says, You give to men here on the earth, but there in heaven he receives it. So yeah, you may be giving to us as a ministry, but it, it's not just here, I'm going to help you. No, you're literally, what the Bible says, you're placing it as an offering in the hand of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ receives it as if literally it's him and you're putting it in his hand saying, Lord, I honor you. I love you. I worship you. I believe you. I'm going to do what you said to do in your scripture. I'm going to believe for you to do what you said. That's what Hebrews 7 talks about. And so, but there's some cool stuff that we're doing. You know, I'll say this. I don't give to every ministry. Uh, you know, I don't give to people that shut their churches down. I don't give to people that, that run their little their little schemes and their little thing. And No, I, it's important to give to soul-winning ministries. If a church and a ministry is not after souls, if it was me, I would never give to them. Uh, I constantly do an evaluation. Us as a church, we don't only tithe as individuals, we tithe as a church. And so I constantly look at who we're giving to as a church. Say, are they winning souls? Right? Are they just going around holding meetings and doing little Christian conferences? Are they actually going after the lost and winning souls, making disciples, going after the people that are unreached and preaching the gospel? I would never give one cent uh, to anybody that's not after the harvest because that's what God's after. You know, me and my wife personally, every ministry that we give to, which we give far above our tithe, our tithe goes to New Beginnings Church, but we have several ministers that we give to every month that we partner with. And all of those ministers are soul-winning ministers. Amen. I, I partnered with Daniel Kalinda. He he actually is the one that has... Uh, he was Ra Reinhard Bonnke's spiritual son. If you don't know who Reinhard Bonnke was, Reinhard Bonnke was a man who had, man, was it one million or was it three million salvations in one night? And, and I think it was Lagos, Africa. Uh, you know, the sea of people. He had over a million people give their lives to Jesus Christ in one night. God is behind that. That's what God is, is behind is the harvest, is souls being saved. He's not just in our cute little church services. He wants the harvest. He wants the lost to be saved. And so that's something... I would say that when you give to our ministry, you're putting it in fertile soil because that's what we are all about. If you were a part of this church, you saw we just did an event in our little community where we're going after souls big time. You know, we had 217 people come to this outdoor kind of crusade style event. Then we had 17 salvations. We were able to feed 100 people, but really the most important thing is we had 17 salvations. Well, we said, Lord, that's great, but that's just not going to cut it. So we're doing another one in May. I want to show you this. Celebrate Huntington 2.0. We're going to be doing it in the park. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be better. We're believing God for 
multitudes. We're going after every lost person that we can. And I'm telling you, when we're done with Huntington, we're going to hit Lufkin. We're going to hit Zavala. We're going to just permeate East Texas with the gospel so that every ear can hear, that everybody has an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. And this is just the small vision of what the Lord has called us to do. And so if you'd like to partner with us, say, hey, I think that's fertile soil to sow into. The Lord will bless you. He'll multiply that seed and return it back to you. I want you to ask the Lord what would be my best that I could give. What's the seed that you want planted into the ground? I'm telling you, you know, when you really ask the Holy Ghost that, it's not some small, oh, okay, I'll give him a couple dollars here or there. No, the Holy Ghost will ask you to do something that doesn't make sense, that seems radical, uh, an amount of faith. Wow, this is something that hurts. This is something that we save for. This is something that literally brings a tear to my eye when I give it. And when you lose it, I'm telling you, Jonathan Shuttlesworth says that if you don't feel it leave your hand, if you don't feel what leaves your hand, you'll never feel what comes back to your hand. And so if you'd like to give, the ways you can give are, are going to be across the, the bottom of the, of the screen. What I want to do to say thank you, anybody that would say, I give my best offering today. If you can say, I, I asked the Holy Ghost and I gave what he told me to give. I don't care what the amount is. I'll trust you. We're going to send you a shirt that we've designed to say thank you. This is just a, a shirt that we're wearing, believing for revival in Texas, believing for reformation in our state, in our country, and we believe that it's going to start in Texas. We're going for it, guys. We're going after the souls. We're going after the kingdom to, to advance the kingdom of heaven. And so if you would like to partner with us to give, help us preach the gospel, I'll send you this shirt just to say thank you and that we love you. And it means so much that you would stand with us. See, y'all, I love you so much. Let me bless you. Father, bless my friends in Jesus' name. Y'all, I love you very, very much. You guys have a great day, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in with me as I shared the Word of God. If you would like to become more than just a casual listener and want to give to our ministry, you can do so in the following ways. For credit or debit, go to www.nbchuntington.org donate. For PayPal, you can send it to NBC Huntington. For Cash App, use dollar sign capital NBCHTX20. Thank you so much. I pray God blesses you abundantly. Until next time. This is John Wallace.